Good morning, everybody. <laughs> hey, uh, just really quick, want to mention at the top of the sermon, uh, if you see me run out right after service is over, it's not primarily because I owe Corey money and he's been looking for me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I, if, if, if maybe you heard that uh, one of our, our amazing elders here, David Ramnarain, his father passed away this week. And so the funeral is today at the a chapel, uh, uh, chapel of the Chimes in Hayward. Um, and I'm going to be going there right after this because the service is from 1130 to 1. If you uh, know the Ramnarain family and you want to go and support them and just show your love, you can uh, get the directions there and, uh, and head over there for that service at 1130. Um, with that, I just want to pray for the Ramnarines and for all who, who are grieving right now, if you join me. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you so much uh, for David and Emma and, uh, and Adrian and their, their, their entire extended family as well. Um, they, they're such a blessing to our church, and I want to pray for them as they go through this time um, of, of all of the emotions of losing a father, a grandfather, a husband, a parent, a, a uh, a brother, um, God, we just we lift them up to you. We lift up Sheila, David's mother, and ask that you be her comfort in this time. Would you give them peace? Would you give them great memories? Would you give them laughter as they remember the good times, God? And would you uh, just wipe the tears from their eyes with uh, your loving kindness as they as they grieve, Lord? Uh, we love them and we lift them up to you. And and for all those who are in a season of grief right now, God, just would your hand be on their lives, Lord? We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Today we're going to talk about a parable that deals with the concepts of old and new. And so a question I want to ask, and I want your interaction here, is what are some things that are better old than they are new? Coins? Coins? Cheese. Cheese. Did I hear wine? Wine. What else? People. People. Old people unite! <laughs> what else? Stories. Stories. Stradivarius violin. I like it. Guitars. Guitars. Somebody finally said it. <laughs> Why are you saying it like that? <laughs> Blue jeans. That's friendships. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> he said country music. I don't know. I'll, have to, I'll test that one later. Um, what about cast iron skillet? Right? That gets better with age. All right, let me give you one more because it's a shameless plug. Baseball gloves. I have a new baseball glove, and it is t I still am breaking it in, and it feels so unnatural. But I really just said that because I wanted to show you this video. Yesterday, the Fremont Centerville Major, Major Guardians were playing against the Cardinals for the championship. We were down 3-0 going into the last inning, and uh, we found a way to get a couple of runs, and then this happened. We are the champions, my friend. I'm not going to show this video, but they, they took video of me as the manager getting a bucket of ice water dumped on me shortly after this. And it was, you have that one second reaction of like, do I get angry because I'm cold or do I just go with it and have fun? And we had so much fun. And the funny part of this, you may be sitting there thinking like, is this guy really bragging about youth baseball and about being a youth sports coaching legend? And uh, first of all, 
You said coaching legend, I didn't. <laughs> Second of all, I deserve zero credit for this. I just want to make that very clear. Like, I, I'm the guy who showed up and I was like, well, it seems this fellow is good at hurling that sphere faster than that fellow can hit it with a club, you know? And it's like, I don't know what I'm doing at all. It's just these kids. And, and I'm, I promise you, this actually makes sense in the sermon later. I'm not just bragging about my kid and the, and the team. Uh, it, it, this baseball family has been really important to us. And so just wanted to let you join in the celebration with us this morning. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I became an old-timey guy from the 20s, the roaring 20s there, but um, <laughs> all right, that's stuff that's better old than new. What are some things that are better new than old? Cars? Children. Children. <laughs> oh, that's rough. <laughs> what else? Huh? I can't hear you. Phones. Yes, true. That's true. Well, yes and no. Yeah. Remember the f- Food. Yeah, you don't want old food, right? Joints, joints new joints. <laughs> coffee. coffee, fresh coffee. What about uh, running shoes? Oh man, running shoes. That's when it talks about what's the hardest thing to get to, for me to get rid of. It's shoes. I have so many shoes that are just worn out, but I just, they still look cool. Um, new toothbrush, right? Old toothbrushes are the grossest thing in the world. Salad dressing is better new than old. In fact, at, at a family gathering with Adrian's grandmother uh, when she was still with us, uh, we were getting the table ready for uh, uh, an Easter meal, and they went in there and they're like, I wonder if this ranch dressing is still good. And then they, look, they showed me the logo, and I'm like, what does it say? And they're like, oh, it's from the Barcelona Olympics. I'm like, you mean 1992? <laughs> and then we proceeded to go through the whole fridge and throw out food from the 1900s, and uh, (laughs) salad dressing is definitely better new than old. Our parable today deals with this kind of tension between old things and new things, and it it helps us to understand the magnitude and the impact of Jesus and his kingdom. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it up uh, to Luke chapter 5. I'm going to invite Avi to come up right now, and she's going to read our passage to us today, one of our amazing students here as part of FCC. So let's welcome Avi. guys. She's going to read to us uh, Luke chapter 5 verses 27 through 39. Guys. After this, Jesus went out and saw the tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And then a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who you belong to, their sect, complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Sorry. Jesus answered them, it is not healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. They said to him, Josh, disciples often fast and pray, and so do disciples of Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them with the parable, no one's tears, a piece of, out of a new garment, patches an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn, um, 
sorry, they will have torn up new garland and patched the new ones that will not match the old. And no one pours the new wine into the wine skins. Otherwise, the new skins will burst the skins, the wine will run out in the wine skins and will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into um, new wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Thank you, Avi. So let's first just unpack a couple of details of this, this parable. First, we start with the, uh, the guy who Jesus calls to follow him, Levi, who is also known as Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. It is one of Jesus' 12 uh, closest disciples. And um, Levi is, is identified here as a tax collector. And um, this is an important part, uh, a detail to the story, um, you know, in our day, we don't exactly love tax collectors, right? But uh, in their time, in their context, this was an especially um, controversial job to have. Because the way it worked was a tax collector would um, usually be selected from among the Jewish people to go and take uh, taxes from other Jews for the Roman Empire, which was in control of the region. Now, the way that a tax collector became wealthy was to take whatever the Romans were saying needed to be collected and then take more for themselves. And so there was a whole lot going on. If you were a tax collector, you were greedy because you're taking from your own people to make yourself rich. And you're a traitor. You're taking out of our pockets to enrich this empire that oppresses us. So when, when, when Jesus is with the tax collectors or when somebody uses this concept of eating and drinking with the tax collectors, it's not just a minor like, oh yeah, why are you hanging out with those guys? It's like, these are the worst sinners we can think of. The worst people in our little world here are these tax collectors. And, and so what Jesus is doing here isn't just minor controversy by, by hanging out, calling Levi to be one of his disciples and then going to his house with a bunch of other tax collectors and, and having a feast. This was not just a little bit of a controversy. This was a problem. And that's the context that Jesus gives us, this, this meta metaphor of wineskins. And so I don't know how many of you guys uh, are, are, you know, have a vineyard and you make wine and you use wineskins. So the, the, I don't know this and I had to look it up. And so if you're, you're a, you know, a vineyard person, you can tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong here. But Essentially what this is, is that new wine ferments. It goes from grape juice to wine, and the process of doing that, it ferments. And fermentation means expansion, right? There's all sorts of gases involved, and it expands, right? Old wine uh, is already, it's already gone through its process. And old wineskins were once new, but they've now been stretched because they were once used with new wine, right? Well, the old wineskins get stretched to a certain point and they can't stretch anymore and eventually they will burst. So you can't pour new wine into them or they will burst. You'll waste the wine. The whole thing will be a wasted process, right? So that's, that's the, the metaphor he gives and that's the, the word picture that we need to have in our head that something is happening. A stretching is happening that the old ways can't contain. Something is happening that the old ways of thinking can't quite get to the heart of it. Before we go on, though, I want to, I want to make sure that we, we deal with some ways that we can misinterpret these passages. New does not automatically equal better, right? Think of our list. Sometimes older things are better than newer things. And this passage has actually been used by a hammer 
by those, uh, you know, a hammer uh, on those who struggle with change. Um, and sometimes, guys, I'll be honest, this is my instinct. I like change. I'm not the normal person. I really like change. I like, let's stir this pot up. Let's get spicy. Like, that's how I function. And sometimes I, I get impatient when other people who don't like change. I'm just being honest and confessing that. And it would be easy for me to come up here today and say, God's bringing in new wine, and if you're not with me, you're against me. Blah, blah, blah. And, and preachers have done that. People have used these passages to say, like, hey, if you're not listening to me, then you're not listening to the Lord, right? Because the Lord has spoken to me. We have to be really careful when people talk like that. That's not healthy uh, community. That's not healthy leadership. We have to be careful with this because as we said in the Holy Spirit series, this type of discernment about what God is doing, these new things that God is doing, it's done in community. You know, the apostles, you know, the people traveling with the apostle Paul, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they said, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And, and James and Peter and the, the council in Jerusalem, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us, Right? So I'm always a little bit weary when somebody pretends that they're Moses and they've gone to the mountaintop and they've got the new plan from God and everybody else has to fall in line or you're, you know, that's not what this passage is doing. This passage is not saying all things new are better than all things old and you need to get on board, okay? But in that context of Holy Spirit discernment and community, I think it's okay to interpret this in a limited way along those lines. God does work in new ways, and we can't put them in a box. But it's also important to know that the, the new ways and the old ways are always connected, right? In this metaphor, we're dealing with the same elements. New wine, new wineskins, old wine, old wineskins. There's going to be a similarity to the way that God has worked. It doesn't say, hey, don't pour chocolate milk into old wineskins. It's, no, it's wine and wine. It's similar, right? And this is a good reminder for us that as we discern what God's calling is, the new things he's doing here at FCC and in our community, we, we, we do this together. We discern this together. We bring our tradition. We bring all that we bring from our past that has helped shape us. And we look at the context and the new things that are going on and we, dis, we discern with the Holy Spirit and with us. This is what we think this new thing God is doing and how we're going to join it. This is how it looks to be a loving community in this context or to authentically worship or to be about radical discipleship and dangerous justice and mercy. These things are so core to who we are as a church. It's about bringing our tradition, bringing how we've been shaped to these new realities and saying, this is the new wine. This is the new thing that God is doing. Side note, just really quickly, this is one of the, the more difficult areas of study for Bible scholars and for Christians in general. Like, now that we have Jesus, what do we do with the Old Testament? God's done something new. What happens to the old? And just in brief, I'll give a simplistic answer that doesn't really knock it out of the park, but Jesus doesn't make sense without the Old Testament. That's really important for us to know. To understand Jesus and his ministry, we need to understand the context he comes from. But Jesus also fulfills the law and brings with him something new and better than the law. And honestly, it's tricky to figure out how it all works together but that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with in this passage. Justo Gonzalez, in his commentary on Luke, says this, Without saying so specifically, Jesus implies that the Pharisees have not recognized the radical newness of what is taking place before their eyes. They want to turn Jesus into one more of the many wise teachers of Israel to patch him onto the old cloth. 
but the power of the new will not allow such compromises. This does not mean that Jesus is, is claiming that there is no connection between him and God's work through the ages before him, but it does announce that Jesus is not just one more episode in the history of God's dealings with Israel. Jesus is the bridegroom for whom the ages have waited. And I love that. I love that. When Jesus arrives on the scene, it's just not just another character like Moses or, or, uh, or Joshua or any Old Testament giant. Something brand new and far bigger than has ever happened before is here. The old wineskins can't contain it because it is so much bigger. It just, it stretches far beyond the old wineskins. Again, this is not about Jesus saying the old is always bad and the new is always good. He's saying in this case, the old was good, but the new is so much better than anyone could have ever imagined because the king, the Messiah is here. The kingdom of God has broken through and nothing will ever be the same. And if you try to contain it with the old wineskins, the whole thing is going to burst and fall apart. You need new wineskins, new ways of thinking, new practices to experience the work of God. Okay, let's dig a little deeper in some of these words here. What, what are the old wineskins in this metaphor? Well, the first wineskin, the first old wineskin is this attitude that, that the Pharisees seem to be displaying here. We are the ones who are spiritual. We're fasting and you are feasting? We're doing the thing that we're supposed to do, the religious good stuff, and you're over here feasting with sinners? And to that, Jesus answered this way. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast? Oh, wrong one. Yeah, yeah, there was, there was a, sorry. <laughs> Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. Now, this is what, what N.T. Wright says is fulfilled. And, and I'll read this, this quote from his commentary on Luke because this is how it's fulfilled. It says, fasting in Judaism and in the various sects and groups of Jesus' day was a sign of waiting, of bewailing the present time when God's kingdom still had not arrived. It was a way of looking back at the disasters that had befallen Israel and humbling oneself in repentance to pray for God's mercy. But what if God's mercy was now alive and active, healing, celebrating, creating a new world and inviting you to enjoy it? Once again, the party theme, celebrating, creating a new world. Sorry, the party theme. This is like a wedding feast, which was a regular Jewish image for God's coming in a new age. And the last thing you do at a wedding is abstain from food and drink. It's a celebration of life itself. Yes, there is one dark note to this as well. One day the bridegroom will be taken away, talking about Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And then it will be time to fast once more. But it won't be for long. Luke's gospel ends with two Easter meals, one in Emmaus and one in the upper room. The bridegroom returns and his risen life means that God's new age has been well and truly launched. That's what Jesus is saying here. When the king is here, we party. When the king is here, we celebrate because new life has broken through. And they had their time of fasting until he rose again. Today, we still have rhythms of fasting and feasting. Here at, at FCC, we talk regularly about extraordinary prayer and fasting. Well, why do we do that? Well, because we pray and fast so that we can discern what God is up to around us. We, we want to pay special attention. Lord, how are you at work in this place? 
What are you up to here? How can I join you? You know, what's funny is that the, the work, when we see the work of the Spirit in our midst, it's ultimately with other people. God is at work in their lives. And so like Jesus, we go from fasting to see where he's at work to finding where he's at work. And when we find those people, like Jesus, we feast together with them. We feast around tables in our homes and at coffee shops and restaurants with our neighbors, our friends from school, our sports teams. The whole baseball thing at the beginning was this, like we prayed when we first came here from Chicago to California, who are you calling us to, Lord? Where, where are you at work in the people's lives around us? And it became very clear very quickly that it was these baseball families that we've been with for the last couple of years. And they've become our people. And so yesterday, after we won, it, we hadn't planned on having a party, but it was... It was like it was just going to happen. It was just whose house is clean enough for somebody to have an impromptu party at their house. And it was like, of course. And we celebrated. And we laughed. And we had a great time. Because we, we've prayed to discern, God, how are you working this place? And that's who he's shown us he's at work with. And we get to go and we get to feast with them and, and, and extend Jesus' welcome to anybody who wants to join us. And it's true of, of, of Kendall's dance studio. As we're discerning, you know, as she's about to star as Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins July 8th, get your tickets now. Um, as we're discerning, who, who, who are these people in this community are you calling us to welcome, to, to feast with? And I think Jesus sets an amazing example for us here. God's presence is in and amongst us, and so we can celebrate and invite anyone who is, who is willing to come to the table and feast with us. We feast in the presence of a God and with each other. But for many of us, old wineskins have been the barrier to us experiencing the work of the Spirit. Like, like the Pharisees who see Jesus feasting instead of fasting, we see different ways of following Jesus. We see different ideas. And we say, well, that's not the way I understand it. That's not the way we do it. That's not the way we've always done it. And we've always done it, so it must be right. And that brings me to another wineskin in this metaphor. And here's how Huso Gonzalez puts it. It says, as Christians, it's easy for us to look at others with disdain, at least to question their standing before God. He drinks, she flirts, they cheat, they blaspheme, they don't go to church, they practice immorality. In short, they are not as close to God as we are. In a way, we are justified in our attitude, but so were the Pharisees. But this is an attitude that prevents us from experiencing and accepting the grace of God. It is an attitude while claiming to serve the God of grace and love, denies God's love for others and God's grace for ourselves. As Christians, the bare minimum requirement is to confess that, yes, I am a sinner. Sorry. The bare minimum is to confess that I am a sinner. But it's all too easy to look that way at other people and say, well, their sin is yuckier than mine in God's eyes. Jesus says in the same passage that, that it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. But often the problem with religious people is it's easy for us to assume that we're the healthy ones. Right? Often our unhealth is less obvious to us, or we're good at hiding it, or for some reason it's less embarrassing or public than other people's unhealth. But it doesn't mean we're healthy. It doesn't mean we're perfectly whole, right? And like the Pharisees in this instance, 
They missed it. And we should be careful not to miss it. We all need the doctor. We all need the forgiveness and healing that Jesus brings. Every single one of us. Jesus talked about this often in the Sermon on the Mount. He said it's like we're walking around telling people, well, you got a, you got a speck of sawdust in your eye. And we're, we're running around doing this with a, a two-by-four plank of wood sticking out of our own eye, right? It's this great picture of us just totally trying to claim God's love and favor for ourselves and say, well, they're not good enough for it. I often have heard this phrase, and, and I think I used to maybe agree with it. Maybe even I said it, but it's love the sinner, hate the sin. But now I think Jesus would say, love the sinner, and you as a sinner, deal with your own sin. Don't judge others because I'm not going to judge you. I'm giving you grace. Show grace. Love other sinners because if there's no grace for them, then there's no grace for anybody, including me. And that's what Jesus is really talking about. Yes, on a bigger picture, the new wine is about Jesus doing something that has never been done before. The Lord here, he's here in the flesh himself. He's going to live the perfect life that we were created to live. It's going to teach us what God cares about, what it means to truly be fully human. He's going to go to the cross to die a death to cover my sins, and then he's raised from the dead so that we can have life. That new didn't fit into the old. It was brand new, and it changed the world forever. That's the gospel, right? He's talking about that in some sense with this. But what are the implications of that? If this is the new wine, if this gospel has broken through and it's changing everything, what's his word picture for it? It's sitting and eating with people who were once kept away, who were once under the old religious systems and under the old structures. They couldn't sit at the table. They weren't welcomed into God's family. They didn't get it right the way we get it right. The old wineskins didn't have room for them, but Jesus does. Jesus feasts with those those people that we could have never imagined would be welcomed to the table. They're invited. The new wineskins make room. Everyone is welcome. If we stick to the old wineskins, we're going to miss out on this grace and this healing that Jesus brings. One more quote from N.T. Wright. The new age is breaking in, and this new age is a time of forgiveness. I love that. That's what God has always promised. This is the new covenant spoken of by his prophets. Forgiveness is here. It's walk, he's walking down the street. And when people re- repent, it is theirs. Never mind if it upsets the tidy classifications of the old systems. This is a party. The first of many in Luke's gospel. And like all Jesus' parties, it is a sign of the new age. It is for those with eyes to see a miniature messianic banquet. This, this feast at Levi's house is a mini picture of what it's going to be like around God's table for eternity. Everyone welcome, forgiven, restored, feasting together. It's beautiful. So I close with these thoughts. My fellow broken people, even for those of us who've had faith in Christ for a long time, and we've seen many ways that the new has broken through. God has done miracles in us, and we're not who we used to be. We were invited to the banquet before we got our act cleaned up. For those of you who haven't put your faith in Jesus, whether you're watching this online or you're here in person with us, 
You don't have to get cleaned up to accept this invitation. The old boundaries of the kingdom are gone. Everyone is invited. The ones who don't, don't get to join the feast are the ones who will say, well, I'm not going to a party with those people. How dare they get invited? Or the ones who say, man, I'm not welcome at that party. That party's for people that have it all together. I'm a mess. They don't want me there. God doesn't want me there. No. <laughs> we all can accept the invitation. We're not a finished project. None of us are fully healed, and we won't be until Jesus returns and makes all things new, and we sit at that banquet table with him. So our posture toward one another needs to be this. Hey, I'm broken, and I need healing too. Let's go to the doctor together, and he'll help us figure this out. He'll start making us new. Then broken people, sinners like me and you, walk arm in arm to Jesus and ask him, make us new. Remember the context. Jesus isn't just eating with any old sinner. This is Levi, the tax collector, the lowest of the low in the eyes of God's people. Jesus feasts with the worst of sinners. I love that. He feasts with the worst of sinners. So the question I ask for us is, if you sometimes feel like maybe, hey, I, I think sometimes I'm, I'm excluding people. I think sometimes I have categories of people that I just don't have any grace for. So right now, you know, please don't say it out loud. Um, but right now, think, inner dialogue with yourself. Who, whose sin offends you the most? Makes you the most uncomfortable? Would be the most challenging person to sit down at a meal with, right? And let me just say this. There are no new sins that exist. Jesus' time, you know... It, we didn't invent new sins. We may express them differently as culture and technology changes, but there's no new sins. They were all there. For some reason, just because of context, you know, Levi and his tax collector friends were the worst of sinners, but it's different in our culture now. There's other people who get vilified and their sins are somehow yuckier than mine, right? Who is that for you? And now realize that Jesus would go to their house and eat a meal with them. The person you disagree with the most, the person you just, you, you frustrate you the most, that you think just doesn't get it the most, whatever it is, Jesus would be at their table feasting. And so the challenge for us is, <laughs> I need to change my heart and my posture, but I also need to say, am I willing to eat at a table with people like that? Can I accept that if God has grace for me, then surely he has grace for them? Let me say one more time, Jesus feasts with the worst of sinners. If you see yourself as too far gone, if you identify with Levi and you think there's no way, there's no way God has a welcome, an invitation for me. Jesus feasted with the worst of sinners. Jesus demonstrated with his actions that no, you are not too far gone. You are welcome at the feast Accept the invitation and let the healing begin in Jesus' presence. Around his table where we all begin to learn and celebrate what it means to be alive and belong to him. Accept the invitation. I'm going to pray for us and the band's going to lead us in some times of singing and, and just reflecting upon what God has done for us and his amazing grace that he has for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that 24 years ago I was finally able to accept that 
I wasn't too far gone. That, that though my sin was public and obvious and egregious, you kept knocking on my door and, and, and asking for an invitation to come in and eat with me, just like you did with Levi. God, thank you for that. And forgive me for all the times over the years where you've worked miracles in me and I've grown and I've become new. And forgive me for any time I've taken credit for that because it's got nothing to do with me. It's only your grace and your power in my life. Forgive us for the times, God, that we keep people at arm's length from your table because we somehow think that we've got it right and they've got it wrong or that we've got it figured out somehow. And God, forgive us for any time that we have stiff-armed somebody that you're inviting and welcoming. And God, I do pray for anybody in here today who feels like there's, there's just no way. God's love is, is, is not big enough for me. God's table is not big enough to fit somebody like me. God, I pray that you would just speak to them by your spirit right now and they would know that Jesus, your love is bigger than any brokenness in our lives. Your forgiveness is bigger than any trespass. I pray right now that they would just surrender to you and say, Jesus, I believe it. I believe, I believe you love me enough. I believe your death was enough. I believe your resurrection is enough. And I wanna be at that table with you. I wanna be in your presence and I wanna find that healing that you offer. You got for all of us. Help us to realize that we are in this together. Lord, your kingdom is breaking through in and around us. And it's in this community, God, that you are speaking and sending. And the new wine, Lord, the, the power of your resurrection life cannot be contained. So, Lord, we, we just surrender. We say we are yours. Have your way. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name.